Hi, it's so good to be back after the summer break and lovely to see your faces. Thank you for coming out on such a hot evening. It's been a scorcher, hasn't it? All right. This hair is not kind in the heat, so I'm melting a little. Um, so we're starting our second year of renewal, which is just so exciting. And um, our preaching series this year is going to be looking at the miracles of Jesus, or at least some of them. Um, last year we looked at the parables of Jesus, they're all on the webpage, so do go back and have a look, have a listen. Um, but this is going to be the miracles of Jesus and what we can learn about Jesus through the miracles that he did. So it's my pleasure to kick that off this evening. And um, to start with, I'm just going to ask you a question. I wonder, can you hear me all right? Am I echoey? Okay. I wonder if you've ever been so desperate, you've had to kind of boldly step out of your comfort zone. You know, that point of desperation where there's really nothing else to do but that. Um, Approximately two years ago, uh, me and my husband Jamie and our kids were in the middle of quite a horrendous house move, which I know several of you really prayed for us in, but we'd sold our house. God had clearly told us to put it on the market. We'd sold our house. Really hopeful we'd find a house to move into, because that's generally how these things work, right? And, um, and it was at the time in the property market when houses were just, the prices were just rocketing. And every time we went to look at a house, it would be 40 grand extra added on by the person who got the offer. And so we just couldn't compete. And it just got really hairy because our house was due to complete in about a month and we had nowhere to live with our two young children. And um, so we were looking for rental properties and that was even worse in the property market with like 20 people going for each property. And because we had a dog, that put us at a disadvantage. And so it was just this crazy situation where I was like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, we need somewhere to live. And um, it was getting pretty desperate. And we were trying really hard. Right Move was my best friend. And, um, and then one of my neighbours said, have you seen there's a house around the corner for sale? And I was like, yeah, it's too late to buy a house now. I've got to be out in like three weeks. And they're like, well, you know, we wanted to stay in the area. Just need an extra bedroom, really. Anyway, I kind of put that to one side, kept looking for rental properties, and, um, and then one morning I woke up, and it was definitely a Holy Spirit nudge of, why don't you just go and knock on the door of that house? Like The, the, the details weren't online yet, I couldn't see them, so why don't I just go and knock on her door and just say, hey, <laughs> what's going on? Is your house for sale? Type thing. And um, I thought, God, that's a bit daft, like, She's going to think I'm crazy. And I thought, well, that's probably the worst thing she could think about me, right? Best case scenario, we get somewhere. Worst case scenario, she thinks I'm a nutter and shuts the door in my face. I was desperate. We needed somewhere to live. And, um, and so we took our kids to school. And I got Jamie to come with me, so I looked slightly less crazy. And we knocked on her door. And I explained our situation. And I said, yeah, I've seen you sign up at your, at your house. Can't see any details online. She went, yeah, it's going, it's going on. Um, uh, viewings are happening on Friday. You can have the first viewing if you want it. And I was like, amazing. Thinking, I think this house is what we need. Anyway, fast track. We got the house for under the asking price. And God totally provided us with um, an interim period in a, a short-term kind of rental situation. But that boldness, that knocking on her front door not knowing what she was going to say or how she was going to be, was just out of pure desperation. And so I wonder if you've ever 
been in that place. Um, we're going to look at a miracle today where a lady was absolutely desperate. Beyond her means and in boldness, she drew close to Jesus and something rather wonderful happened. Um, so turn with me, if you've got your Bible, please, to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Um, I'll read it as well. So if you haven't got your Bible with you, don't, don't worry. Okay. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. That just absolutely squeezed in. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Just, just a note on that. Under the Old Testament law in Leviticus 25, any woman who was uh, menstruating or bleeding for a long period of time was seen as ceremonially unclean. So that meant she couldn't go into the temple, the women's part of the temple at all. And it also meant that she couldn't leave the house and be in public without declaring everywhere she went that she was unclean. Because as soon as she touched or came into contact with someone else, they would be unclean and have to go through the purification ritual. So massively isolated, massive amount of um, shame. It's something she'd lived with for 12 years. So, you know, it was as much a part of her as anything else. It was what she would be known for. But she was there. Okay, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So she'd spent every part of her resources, her money, her time, and her energy. And devastatingly, this was, was just getting worse. The gynecological problem was progressing. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Can you imagine how that must have felt for her? Oh, my goodness. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? A.K.A. everyone's touched you, Jesus. <laughs> you know. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that precious? So for 12 years, this poor woman had bled, I don't know, maybe it was fibroids or endometriosis, but some significant gynecological problem. And... She'd been socially isolated, and with that would have come a huge sense of shame. I can imagine she would have really lived in this kind of place of guilt and shame. And so she tried desperately to get an answer. She, she wanted to be back with her friends, right? She wanted to be able to get married. She wouldn't have been able to, to marry, or her husband would have divorced her because of this problem. She wanted connection again. And everything she tried didn't work. So she must, I can only imagine her devastation and her absolute sense of brokenness. And yet, on the village gossip, she's heard about this Jesus. He's going from village to village. She's heard he's healing people, and she's heard he's coming to her village. And so, 
in her brokenness and her desperation, she leaves the house, right? Boldly leaves the house. She knows that by touching Jesus and anyone else in that crowd, she makes them unclean. Think about that. So by touching Jesus, she's made him unclean, but she is desperate. And she touches him. And time stops. And Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples say, you're crazy. Everyone's touching you. But he knows, because he's Jesus. And he knows who touched him, right? So why is he calling her out? Is he trying to just embarrass her, humiliate her, rat her out? I don't believe he is. Because, you see, he's on the way to get somewhere, right? He's on the way to Jairus' house, whose daughter is dying. This is an urgent situation, and yet he stops. You wouldn't stop unless you're trying to do something significant, right? Because time is precious in this moment. And you see, we see as he's in this moment of transition of getting from A to B, we see him take some time for this woman because his default is to love and to restore, right? He wants her to know that he's with her, that he cares about her, that he's seen her. The rest of society don't see her, but he's seen her. And he wants to show his deep affection and welcome to her. So he stops, and she tells him the truth. And as I've been studying this, I've just thought, kind of, I wonder if there's anything you're desperate for at the moment. I wonder if there's anything that you feel like, God, I've tried. I've tried so hard, like me with my house situation. Possibly there's a health issue. Possibly something holds you back from from asking Jesus and drawing close. That sense of, I should have this sorted. I should be able to do this. Maybe you're frightened. I imagine she was really frightened to leave the house. Maybe you've prayed a lot in the past and there hasn't been a breakthrough then, so why would you do it again? Right? We've all got, we've all got prayers that feel unanswered in our hearts. Right? The Bible doesn't speak about unanswered prayers. So I'm trusting they are answered, but just maybe not in the way we would hope for. And that can be really painful. Or maybe your situation's just so totally overwhelming, you're just like, I don't know where to start. Just feel absolutely paralyzed by it. It's easy, isn't it? Especially in the culture we live in, to lean into self-sufficiency, right? To believe that it's down to us, and we need to have it all together, and to drown under that pressure. I, um, I recently went to see the Barbie movie. Come on, hands up if you've seen it. Give me a wave. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So I'm, I'm totally not a Barbie kind of girl, right? But I was intrigued, and I wanted to go and see it. And um, I was struck by this quote that I'm about to read. Um, and I know other women who have seen it were as well. And um, it was by the mum in, in Barbie called Gloria. She has a bit of a meltdown. And in her meltdown, she speaks quite well. And she says, it is literally impossible to be a woman. Like, we always have to be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You've got to be thin, but not too thin. You can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but you also have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You're supposed to love being a mother, but you don't talk about your kids all the time. You have to be a career woman, but also be looking out for other people. You have to always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish. 
never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard, it's too contradictory, and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. Right? I'm sure there are parts of that I'm sure that all of us can identify with. And the world tells us we need to be that type of woman. We need to be that one who can do it all and hold it all together. And we should be able to cope or even flourish under that pressure. The world tells us it's all attainable and that we're failing if we don't. But can I tell you, it's a lie. It's one of the biggest lies the enemy wants to feed you. Because the truth is we drown under that pressure. And whatever you can achieve, you've then got to keep achieving which after some extent of time gets too much. And the good news is, the really, really, really good news is that this isn't how Jesus defines a woman. This isn't how Jesus defines you. The answer isn't to try harder. The answer is to draw nearer to Jesus. Let him define you. He promises that his yoke and his burden is light, full of freedom, fulfillment and peace. He promises you that the same power that rose him from the dead lives in you. He left his Holy Spirit to be with you. Not just the person next to you, but you. And that takes a sense of vulnerability to draw close. It takes a sense of vulnerability to, in that boldness, share so honestly with him or with with others as well. Pete Gregg, the founder of um, a movement called 24-7 Prayer, tweeted a while back, and it's just stuck with me, so I thought I'd read it to you. He said, when life is, is tough, they tell you to be strong. Don't be strong. Be weak. Unclench your fists. Dare to be vulnerable. Honest weakness takes courage. It affirms our common humanity. It deepens our friendship and elicits grace. I'll read it again. When life is tough, they tell you to be strong. Don't be strong. Be weak. Unclench your fists. Dare to be vulnerable. Honest weakness takes courage. It affirms our common humanity. It deepens our friendship. And it elicits grace. Isn't that powerful? Right? Isn't that so different to what the world wants to tell you? So this lady, we don't even know her name. This lady in in Miracle. I want to give her a name. Doris. Doris. She's just so bold and honest in her vulnerability. And she drew near to Jesus knowing with confidence who she was drawing near to. Right? Just like if you've ever had a child jump from a height into your arms. Right? They jump with a confidence, don't they? And a pure amount of joy. They jump knowing you're going to catch them, so you better catch them. And they jump knowing who they're jumping to. They're not going to just jump to anyone. It's someone they're going to trust. And Jesus looks at that looks for that from us and why can we do that why can we draw near to him well because he first drew drew close to us 1 John 4 19 says we love because he first loved us he loved you before you loved him he chose you before you chose him he died for you whilst you were still lost in your sin right and just like um, some of the verses that have been read out this morning and, and the words, morning, evening, the words brought about the promises of God, they were all true well before you took him up on it. The cross shows us who it is we're drawing near to. The cross shows us we're drawing near to 
a God of love, a God who is made unclean by our sin, just like when that lady touched him, he was unclean, and yet his blood washes that sin away forever. There's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to change that. And I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's the most crazy formula going, but grace doesn't make sense because God's love is extravagant for us. And he restores you into a relationship with him. He doesn't just heal you and forgive your sin and leave you there. He restores you into a relationship, just like he restored the lady. She went from being on the fringes of society to welcomed into the family of God. did Did you hear at the end where he calls her daughter? Yeah? That's the only time in scripture that Jesus calls a woman daughter. The only time. Why? Why her? Because she needed to know she belonged. She needed family. Right? She needed to know she was precious and wanted and chosen. And so are you. He knew what she needed and he knows what you need better than you know yourself. So there's an invitation this evening to be honest in our vulnerability, to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with God, to draw close, to jump into the arms of the one who loves you beyond measure, to jump into the arms of the one whose default is to love and to restore. You're probably maybe thinking, yeah, but Beth, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what my thought processes have been. You don't know what I've tried. You're right, I don't, but he does, and he still chose you. And that truth for you, his love for you, is far, far bigger than your sin. I think, you know, maybe, maybe like this lady in the Bible, there's a physical need in, in your body for healing. Maybe there's a mental health need, emotional healing. Maybe that quote I read from Barbie just rings true, and there's something in there that you're really struggling with and actually you want to be free from. We've sung about Jesus breaking our chains. That's exactly what he does. But we have to draw close first. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that needs reconciliation. It's hard to take the first step, but he took the first step towards you. So with his help, you can take that first step in that reconciliation. I am... I think it's really important, though, that we remember who we are and whose we are, right? So, we are children of the King. We are daughters with a crown on our heads forever, if you love Jesus. Sometimes my crown needs straightening, right? So we need to straighten our crowns and push our shoulders back. Remember that we are beloved daughters of the King. He wants you. He waits for you every day. And because we're his beloved daughters and because we have his crown on our heads, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Nothing is impossible. It it will look impossible on your own, right? It will look totally beyond yourself. But with him, it's possible. It's totally possible. I wonder if Sarah and Julia could come back. Is that right? Thank you. But first, before we kind of maybe do too much personal reflection. 
let's remember and fix our eyes on him. Right? This starts from a place of worship. It starts from a place of on our knees. Just loving him. The one who paid the ultimate price for your soul. The one who's ready to love and restore you right now, right here. The one who welcomes you as his daughter. Remember who it is you're drawing near to. As we um, go into our next worship song, there's a real chance just to fix your eyes, lift your eyes and draw near. And then we'll go into some table discussions and I've got some questions just to prompt discussion if you want them. You don't have to use them. They're there as a bit of a help, but not as a must. But let's just take some time, shall we, to reflect on what you're desperate for and on where you're at with that with Jesus and know that he's ready to love and restore you right now, right here. Let's pray and then we'll go into a song. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that your default is to love and restore. I thank you for how you healed the lady in the miracle. And you didn't just heal her for, for like a quick fix. You healed her deeply. I thank you that you restored her and gave her a place in your family. And I thank you that what you did all those years ago is still true today. You are the same yesterday, today and forever. And Jesus, I pray, I pray now that Holy Spirit, you would just be quickening hearts, nudging, nudging hearts that would meet with you in this time, that we'd draw close to you, that whatever it is we're desperate for, we'd be able to just be honest with you and that we'd lean away from self-sufficiency and lean hard into you. I thank you that your grace isn't down to our performance, but it's all down to you, which is outrageous, but it's true. I thank you that we can just come and I thank you you invite us right now. So lead us, Holy Spirit. May this time be precious and anointed because you are here and you are at work.